Welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode five of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, the internet's best and maybe only podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark and with me as always is my co-host and buddy Brian. Brian, how you doing today? Pretty good. Do you think it's going to be true that it will be the only podcast if we space all 41 episodes over the course of like a <laughs> decade or so? Yeah, well, here's what I figure. Other Sentai and I believe Marvel-based podcasts have done like single episodes dedicated to Spider-Man, to the Toei production of Spider-Man. But mm-hmm. I don't think there's another one that has gone like in depth dedicated to it. If you can call, you know, four <laughs> episodes a year dedicated. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sticking with it. Sounds like a plan. As this so, episode will drop sometime between June of 2018 and June of 2081. Yep. We are back on the mics again. Listeners have probably picked up on the fact that we just like to keep one of these recorded and ready to go in case Matt and Dave ever have a week where they can't record. So Brian and I had some free time. We're laying down another episode of Spider-Man just to put it in reserve for when we need it. Is there a reason we don't have like spare reserve episodes for our own podcast? That is a very good question. The answer is no. Okay. Maybe we need to get Matt and Dave to record episodes <laughs> of our podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a thought. <laughs> so how's it going, man? It's uh, it, been, what, a day since we've talked to each other on a podcast? A few more, yeah, maybe. A, a day since we've talked to each other on a podcast. Approximately two and a half hours since I've seen you. <laughs> <laughs> the fiction of us catching up on the podcast, whatever podcast we currently happen to be doing together, is always a little bit silly since we see each other five, six days a week. Yeah, we, we carpool, so. Right. But the listeners aren't privy to our scintillating carpool conversation, so they come to our podcast to hear, as uh, Jordan Morris from Jordan Jesse Go likes to say, Two white guys talking about Nintendo. Yes, that's what I think yes. he says. Eighty percent of podcasts are. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's not it's not wrong. Let's talk five stars, Brian. All right, five stars, which so we as, do in a different star way. Exactly. Yeah, as regular listeners will know, the five stars is a timely segment where your regular hosts fill you in on amusing things that are happening in their week. It is a it is a kind of weekly highlights section for children (laughs) highlights for children sorry we record these things who knows how far ahead we could talk about how father's day is coming up but this episode might not drop till october who knows so to avoid that particular snare not that anyone would care we are probably the only two humans who care about this anyone's going to be listening and be like huh you're talking about the just announced Mystery Science Theater live show. I know that was announced in June. You frauds. <laughs> the audience like really doesn't imagine... like us in this scenario. I mean, that's Ex- probably true. Uh, yeah, I like are... to imagine a hostile audience just annoyed that we aren't Matt and Dave. I mean, I'm sure that audience is there and exists. 
So what we do instead is basically a quick top five list on a subject that we usually pick about an hour before we record and then hastily throw some thoughts together. Yeah. Uh, which is why our top five lists are subject to change even while we're evaluating them. Yeah. So I always want to make this list. I always want the subject to be top five Scott albums, but that feels unfair to you. So uh, I have yet to pitch yes, that one. Yes, it is. Instead, we're going comfortably into our wheelhouse. I don't remember why, but this subject came up on the commute home. I came up because I asked you if we had a subject and you said no. But how did we... Anyway, the subject, we're looking at top five cartoons from the 1980s today. Because that's the era in which we were young children and Saturday morning cartoons were a big deal. Right. We will probably For some reason, we were discussing cartoons. Maybe? Don't remember. (laughs) Anyway. Been a long time. We're going to pick our top five cartoons from the 1980s. I will stipulate that at least on my side... This means an animated show intentionally targeted at children. In the 80s, that really doesn't need to be stipulated much. Very soon thereafter, we're going to enter the advent of animated shows for grownups. And that's that's not what we're looking at here. Fair enough. Anyway, why don't you start us off, Brian, with star number five for you. For me, um, it's, it's probably surprising that it is down this low. But uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah. That is one of the ones that in my head I would have guessed was an early 90s show, but did in fact start in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, Ninja Turtles was everywhere. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles was great. I, I mean, I even remember, you know, when they brought the first movie, which is live action, which was. Yeah. Which was a thing. Um. But yeah, uh, I learned all about Ninja Turtles from the 1987 cartoon, which I know now uh, purists of the comic book just kind of sigh. Yeah, it's not what the comic book was. No, apparently the comic was not all cowabunga, pizza, uh, hey, shredhead, how you doing? (laughs) That cartoon was desperately 80s. Yes. I mean, that's... The 1980s have a lot of desperately 80s about them. They definitely called things bodacious in that cartoon. Yeah. I mean, look at the entire character design for Bebop and Rocksteady. (laughs) So just because it's a question you must ask if you are a middle-aged white nerd, who's your favorite turtle? Leonardo. Hey, mine too. Look at that. Yeah. Guy's in charge. (laughs) Okay, my number five star, and I wrote down ten shows and just figured I would pick on the fly. But Uh. for my number five star, I am going to go with The Centurions. Oh, no. Which was a relatively short-lived mid-80s action-adventure cartoon show. You're the only person who ever owned any of the action figures as i recall yeah so the so the centurions the the subtitle was man and machine power extreme and it was one of those kind of like garbage kenner whatever like gi joe clones it was a Mm -hmm. gi joe clone effectively uh and it starred three dudes who 
war interchangeable action costumes. So one dude was the sea commander and one dude was the land operations specialist. And one was the daring's air, daring air ops guy. But the whole gimmick was they changed like weaponry and gadgetry according to the challenge they were facing in the show that week. Which meant it was a show 100% crafted to sell gadgets. Even more so than any Sentai program, Centurions was peak toyetic. And they sold these action figures that had super interchangeable parts. Like the action figures were made with kind of indentations where you could sink in and out their various armor pieces. And it was real slick. The show was never very popular. It lasted less than one year. It did crank out 60-some episodes, but it aired from April till December of 86, and that was that. And when it didn't catch on, Toys R Us just dumped off a bunch of the merchandise real cheap because no one was buying the toys. People didn't care about it. My dad, for some reason, wandered into a Toys R Us at one of these times and just bought all of it for pennies on the dollar. So that Christmas, young Mark just got all of the Centurion's toys (laughs) and played with them for years. I mean, these were my top action figures for years years my brother did ninja turtles i did centurions no no one ever gets a set as complete as that probably was of any property it was great i had all of the main characters all of the bad guys and honest to goodness five to eight different complete outfits for each character all of the vehicles it was incredible and especially at that time because listener i didn't grow up a wealthy kid you know, my, my dad is a man who made good, but I come from very blue collary roots. And when I was a kid, my dad was still working on making good. So the idea of a Christmas that was just loaded down with these fancy looking interchangeable action figures was astounding. Nice. Not really a great cartoon show. I've went back and revisited <laughs> it, but I couldn't not put it on the list. This is this is really like the cartoon show and the adjacent things that happen with that cartoon show. <laughs> All right, number four. Well, speaking of things, uh, I believe made by Kenner, uh, where the toy is concerned. Do you remember? I mean, of course you do. The real Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. The real ghost, but and if this is before all the nonsense where it eventually just becomes Slimer in the real Ghostbusters. Right. This is yeah. back in the original, in the original times. The first uh, few seasons of the real Ghostbusters, honest to goodness, is one of the best cartoons to come out of that era. Uh, it has all kinds of great incidental music, fun, interesting character designs that look pretty much nothing like anyone actually in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Their uh their weird color-coded ghostbuster thing they do. Yep. Yep. But man did it have some killer action figures. Oh yeah, all kinds of proton packs. I I you know, you remember specific episodes like uh Egon and the Boogeyman. Yeah. Oh, that was a good cartoon think they rigged the proton packs to explode in an alternate dimension or something yeah (laughs) i actually have several seasons of that on dvd i tried to get my daughter into it semi-recently and it was a bit too spooky for her Mm -hmm. she's six i guess that's fair it actually like it could be a little bit of a spooky show in places it's true although now that i'm thinking i i can't 
imagine I would have watched it without seeing the movie first. So, yeah. Yeah. also, lot lots of great toys with that as well. Uh, I had the firehouse and Ecto One. Nice. I had Ecto One. I did not have a firehouse. That's awesome. Oh yeah, and the the thing was like the actual action figures for Ghostbusters are actually a bit too large for the scale of the firehouse. <laughs> it's like all of the scaling is off there. But uh, yeah, it was all it was all pretty great. I also had. Um, like my own proton pack and uh, I can't remember if I had a PKE mater. I also had, you know, the ghost trap itself, step on it. Right. Thing right. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, and sort of related uh, for kindergarten, I went uh, kindergarten Halloween. I went as the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. It is. All right, my number four is a little program called Denver the Last Dinosaur. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Why? <laughs> so that, here's my relationship to Denver the Last Dinosaur, uh, which, by the way, listeners, if you're not familiar with Denver the Last Dinosaur, look him up. He is a dinosaur that had been frozen, or his egg, rather, had been frozen in like some sort of state of suspended animation in the tar pits. Some some preteens in California find him and teach him to ride a skateboard and wear radical sunglasses. The main bad guy, if you remember this, Brian, do you remember the main bad guy? I The only thing I remember is the theme song. Morton Fizback, who was, if you recall, a rock concert promoter. <laughs> Was he considered too uh, too threatening for Jem? Or I... <laughs> no, he uh, he wanted to use Denver uh, to make money. He wanted to use him as a as a concert promo tool. Okay, That's, ah. <laughs> I mean that is delightfully eighties. There is also uh, like an E.T. plot line at some point with a professor who wants to do experiments or something. But the guy I remember is Mort Fisbank. Anyway, my relation to the ship to this show very briefly is I didn't initially see it on television. But when we moved to Pennsylvania, before I made any friends, we used to go to the video rental store. Okay. And I rented tapes of Denver with like four and five episodes on it. And my brother and I just watched tons of Denver the last dinosaur Boy. Uh, it's not a gr- it's, it's another one that it's not a great cartoon but it is so specifically evocative of a of the 80s era it does have a really catchy theme song I just like I have such a soft spot for it I feel like my list is going to like line up with shows that were good and your list is going to <laughs> not do that. I'll close out strong, I promise. Okay. What's number three? Uh, number three is Rescue Rangers. Oh, oh, good call. That's 80s? I would have thought that was yeah, 90s. I think uh, I think it start. There's there's a lot of mine that I think straddle the line like they start in 89 or whatnot. But, that uh, counts. Part of that beautiful Disney Afternoon lineup. Yeah, I mean, Rescue Rangers was great. Like, I... I can't even explain why it's great. Uh, March of 1989. Nice. Um, 
but it was it was thing about that Disney afternoon. You can't like it just had magic and it's hard to explain why if you try to outline the premise of Rescue Rangers or Tailspin. Right. Yeah. So it, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, Chip and Dale from other cartoons that you saw even earlier than that when they were just chipmunks. OK, dispense with that and uh, <laughs> right. give them like a fly and an overweight mouse and a uh, engineer mouse. Uh, yeah. And they are a super team of like investigative crime solvers. Look, it's an up-to-date take on the rescuers is what it is. Yeah. Uh, up-to-date for the 1980s. Uh, yeah. We, <laughs> there are, if you go back, there are some questionable decisions made as far as some of the characterizations of some of the villains. Um, appropriate for the 1980s, not appropriate for 2018. You know what is appropriate forever? That awesome jacket that Chip wore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I will yank us back onto uh yank my list back onto more solid ground with my number 3. Uh and we'll talk about for just a minute Inspector Gadget. Okay. Which only ran for two seasons but had close to 100 episodes. Here's a thing I didn't know about Inspector Gadget. I I looked this up to be sure, because it's another one that I thought was 90s. It initially mm-hmm. ran 83 to 85. That show ran when we were babies. Wow. It just stayed in syndication forever. Well, I mean, a lot of these are like that. Rescue Rangers only runs from March 4th, 1989 to November 19th, 1990. I think instead of what is done now, where they get to that 65 episode order you know, over the span of a right. few years. I think they just, here's 65 episodes. Okay, that thing is done. <laughs> so Inspector Gadget features the lead voice talent of Don Adams. Who, I mean, he's known for a lot of things, but probably best known for being Maxwell Smart, right? From the from Get Smart, yep. one of the best sitcoms of all is it even a sitcom what would you call it it's probably a sitcom yeah it's a situation comedy yes yeah it's not a drama so it is also and this is just for you brian a production of that famed canadian studio nelvana (laughs) wow uh that produced the 2007 era Warriors of the Hidden Strongmen (laughs) or whatever it was we reviewed. (laughs) That Smash 2007 Greek history cartoon program. And I do not remember the name of it. Also produced the Boba Fett cartoon from Star Wars, the holiday special. Yep. Anyway, that's number three for me. It's Inspector Gadget. If you don't know what Inspector Gadget is, shame on you. Go watch it. It's, It's incredible. They've rebooted it. Netflix is doing a uh, like a CGI version. It's okay. not bad. It's it. I mean, it's not Inspector Gadget that we know and love, but it's it's a pretty decent reboot as far as these things go. The penny and brain we? still have to solve everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. The format okay. is pretty consistent. Fair enough. Number two. Uh, number two for me, the Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin. Oh, oh, good call. Uh, the, I, probably my first introduction to serialized television. 
Teddy Ruxpin had arcs. Teddy Ruxpin had major arcs, yeah. And they were consistent with the audio tape and book stories. Yep. I had a a Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, so listeners, you may not know this. Teddy Ruxpin was a bear who went on adventures. Yeah. Well, an Iliop. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And... (laughs) Look, it's something I knew, and I figured I had to throw that out there. (laughs) They produced a Teddy Ruxpin doll that was animatronic, and you could put a cassette tape in it, and it would tell you the story as narrated by Teddy Ruxpin. It was just, it was the coolest toy. Yep. I don't know why. It was just a tape deck with a mouth that moved, but it was awesome. Fun fact, uh, apparently there there might be a new series in development. Ooh, interesting. I have seen Teddy Rux, like new Teddy Ruxpin dolls on the shelves when I poke around the toy aisles with my kid. Yes, hy- hypothetically, it looks like, uh, and you can cut this for time. This this might just be uh, for us, but it looks like the Wikipedia article suggests um, in 2018, it was announced that Alchemy and the Jim Henson Company will make a new Teddy Ruxpin TV series. The series will be animated in a digital puppetry form and be aimed at preschoolers. Huh. We're not going to cut that for time because that's going to connect me to my number two star, Muppet Babies. Nice. Yeah, so Muppet Babies gets a lot of, it's divisive in the Muppet fan community. It's not hard to figure out why. It's a weird, childish version of the Muppets targeted at, directly at children. Right. Uh, it is less devices for us because we were children at the time. Right. And it is actually, in a lot of ways, my introduction to the Muppets. I think I was into Muppet Babies maybe before I was into Sesame Street. Wow, that seems like that would be difficult to do, but all right. <laughs> well, I, I, we didn't get PBS when I was real young, so I came to the Sesame Street train just a little later. Right, because you but lived for, in Texas. Right. But for some reason, I had access to Muppet Babies stuff. I also watched Fraggle Rock only when we visited a friend who had HBO. Not my friend. My parents had a friend who had HBO. So I could watch Fraggle Rock when we visited. But Muppet Babies, A, is really clever. And B, featured a lot of stock footage from movies such as Star Wars and Indiana Jones. So So much stock footage. It was extremely in my wheelhouse. And it's just a good cartoon. It does hold up pretty well. I've watched it with my kid. It's still really fun. I, I still want someone to explain to me why there still is not a live action Skeeter. Yeah, well, I've got bad news for you, my friend. Oh, I mean, very technically, no, Skeeter is in universe. Uh-huh. Uh, she has been addressed in like there's been a live action I forget what they call them. They're stand-ups, so they do, like, stand-and-shoot stuff or, like, when they do Muppet promotional images or, like, Muppet calendars or, you know, Muppet picture books. Okay. So there has been a Skeeter. The official explanation is that she became, like, an adventurer safari person. 
Okay. And he's just traveling all the time. Okay. But the bad news that... I have for you is that they are rebooting the Muppet Babies. Okay. You may be aware of this fact. I'm not, but I am now. CGI puppetry style, the same way they're doing, apparently, Teddy Ruxpin. Okay. And characters not included, Skeeter. <laughs> so, <laughs> is it... Is it... I... <laughs> is there... Is there just some secret, like, internal Muppet conspiracy against Skeeter? I don't know, but this time around, if I remember correctly, Scooter isn't even in it, so... I just... Uh... Otherwise, the main cast is largely the same. It's Kermit, Piggy, Animal, Gonzo, Fozzie, and Rolf? weirdly a new Penguin character named Summer? I don't like introduced. anything about that. Yeah, I don't know. And yeah, Rolf is kicking around in there, I believe. Uh, Beaker and Bunsen are going to occur as they did. Okay. Rizzo apparently is going to make an appearance somewhere. Uh, if that feels right. So we'll, we'll see how that all lands. I think it started airing a month or two ago, but I have not looked into it yet. Okay. Listener, I'm a weird Muppet fan. That's That's why I'm spending a lot of time talking about the Muppets. Fair enough. Now, before we hit number one, real quick, if you want to throw out any honorable mentions, toss them out there. Uh, the honorable mention, because I did write down six, would be Garfield and Friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that show lasts a good long while. There are still, like, Garfield riffs that uh, occur to me. You are right, Mr. Fettuccini. Um, <laughs> I use that line. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's the only honorable mention I have. Um, as I'm placing money that you and I have ranked the same thing, number one. <laughs> Go for it. I mean, do you have any honorable mentions? Oh, uh, my honorable mentions, if I'm keeping my number one where it is, is the original Care Bears cartoon. Okay. Which was dark and fun in places and very fantasy oriented. There was a lot of magic and weirdness going on. And Alvin and the Chipmunks, actually, which oh. I really liked a lot. I, that theme song is pretty great as well. It is. That theme song written by, ah, dang, now what's the man's name? Ross Bagdasarian Jr., who is the son of Ross Bagdasarian Sr., the man who created the Chipmunks. Nice. He is like 67 years old now, and he and his wife still own the Chipmunks lock, stock, and barrel. They have never sold that to anybody. They maintain 100% creative control over those characters. And they which... license them out for movies and shows. <laughs> but yeah. Which means they, they got all that uh, chip-wrecked money and... Uh, all that crazy movie money, yeah. Any yeah, Anything called the Squeakwell? Everything that gets any sort of cartoon traction, with the exception of Calvin and Hobbes, generally gets sold off to somebody but apparently the Bagdasarians have hung on to those rights and they have been like writers and producers on every chipmunks project they guard that thing carefully dang weird, that is but kind of cool i mean it's weird but it's also a property that has seen numerous revivals through the years so it's got one going right now huh that features the same theme song that still includes the now extremely prescient line it's been a while but we're back in style Nice. It's great. Anyway, what's our probably joint number one star, Brian? I mean, it's got to be DuckTales, right? It is DuckTales. It's obviously <laughs> DuckTales. I mean, like if we were... it, 
I would say if we were doing like an all cartoons, only Looney Tunes is going to have any kind of competition <laughs> with DuckTales, and DuckTales probably still wins. It's such a good show. It's so good. Scrooge McDuck <laughs> is one of the greatest characters ever created. He is. There's so much fun action in that show. It's got like emotional pathos. It's it's got cool recurring cast. It's got a really neat animation style. It's a, it's a good show. It's got, you know, adventure. Yeah, possibly it, the best cartoon theme song of all time. Uh, it's definitely the most catchy. I mean, nice. it's, I'm glad we uh I'm glad it, we landed on that together. I mean, um, unless one of us didn't realize when DuckTales started, I'm I'm not sure there was a way to avoid that. Yeah. So we are now, if I am estimating correctly, about 28 minutes into our intro and about 40 minutes into our effort to record this episode. Right. So let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's take and a have break. more talk about DuckTales. Oh, man. Have you seen the new one? I only saw the I've, pilot. I've seen the pilot and I think the episode after that, maybe. It's not the old thing, obviously. It's not going to be. Right. It's pretty fun. Yep. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to watch Spider-Man Episode 5, Crash Machine GP7, or The Oath Siblings. And we will be right back. Change the apart off! Okay. We are back. Brian, how uh, how did that episode strike you? <laughs> it struck me repeatedly. Uh, over did and over it strike again, you like a van. It did. Uh, that was it was very surprising. Uh, <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack in this episode, even though not a lot happens necessarily. Yeah, yeah, not a ton of action, but there's a lot going on. This episode, this episode is pretty emotionally intense. Uh, this this might reach some Jetman levels of raw. Yeah, it is pretty raw. So to take a two-minute stage setting for any listeners who might have joined since the last time we did one of these, Spider-Man is a co-production of Marvel and Toei, the Japanese company that produces the Sentai series. It happened in the early going. It may even predate most, if not all, of the Sentai programs. Uh, So they're they're still kind of working out some kinks in the formula. Our background story is that a several-thousand-year-old warrior named Garia from the planet Spider has been hiding out on Earth since a villain named Professor Monster and his Iron Cross army destroyed Planet Spider. Shortly before Gurria died, he transferred his spider powers onto a local Japanese boy named Takoya Yamashiro. That's our Spider-Man. Is that a fair summary? Yes. So I will note, and I'm only going to say it quickly, but I have to note this every time because it's always a few weeks or months between when we watch these. This theme song is still amazing. It is amazing. Can you explain to me, though, why Spider-Man's web has like light bulbs in it, bright lighting up and blinking out? I don't know what I that's cannot. about. And, and while this theme song is very amazing, maybe not amazing enough to play four times in one episode. <laughs> oh, but we should try. <laughs> so we open on... A classic shot of like a military convoy, right? Yep. 
some jeeps and some sort of light armored vehicles speeding down a highway. And then a bunch of the putties of this universe, which are called the Ninders, a bunch of Ninders jumping over a fence and invading what we are later told is an, as a military industrial, oh, what they call it? it? Just like a military base, effectively. Yeah. They don't call it a base for some reason, but it's a military base. Right. Bunch of guards catch knives in the neck. Yeah, we start this one out pretty aggressively. So very often in Spider-Man, like in most of the Sentai shows, there's a lot of karate, and and it's not always karate, obviously, but it's a lot of what America calls karate, which is <laughs> any form of martial arts. Right. So we, there's a lot of martial arts, there's a lot of kicking and and vague suggestions of people being injured, but not necessarily a ton of on-screen deaths. And we this open this episode with guards just catching knives in the neck. Right. Also, uh, there's no karate unless you count bullets. Yeah, none at all. They just jump over that fence and start knifing people. Knifing people, gunning people down. Like I forgot about the are, guns, yeah. Yeah, they. Uh, the Ninders mean business this week. Yeah, Iron Cross Army has really, really upped their game between weeks four and five, which I guess is fair because last week they had a computer-designed perfect plan and it didn't work. Yep, so now so, now it's just straight-up murder. Yep, now just guns. So the Ninders are being led by, I don't know, like a, like a kind of bird monster? Yep, who has no special bird powers for this mission. Like, I don't know why there's a bird monster here. Yeah, it's very strange because he looks cool. The first thing I wrote down is that this is a neat looking costume. And especially in the early going of these programs, the kind of the big rubber monster suits can be. They vary in quality, but this guy looks cool. I was excited. like, All right. This looks like we might have a neat bad guy. He doesn't get name-checked until about the 19th minute of this 23-minute episode. Right. I'm pretty sure after this daring raid, we do not see him again till then. No. And we like we don't get any origin story for him. We don't see why Professor Monster created him or what his secret powers are, which nope. I think are just gun hand. Yeah. Yeah. Not even gun hands. Just one. One <laughs> yeah. has a gun. So he's leading the Ninders in a raid of a military complex they are taking a bunch of missiles missiles yeah it's even stamped right on the side of the crates in english in english in case you needed to know missile so they're here just taking a bunch of missiles throwing them into the back of the aforementioned jeeps and kind of light armored vehicles and speeding away from there we take a hard cut to our boy takoya who continues to triple down on being the worst boyfriend? He really is. Like, I I do not know why Hitomi is suggesting marriage here. No. So, so he is on a motorcycle, as he often is. That's his gig. If you remember Takoya, when he's not being Spider-Man, he's just a motorcycle boy. A motorcycle boy on a motorcycle that has kind of a Spider-Man face. Yeah. 
So he is taking Hitobi, his girlfriend, who is also a uh, photojournalist and photojournalist. Yeah. He is taking her to see the sunrise, but he is not happy about this situation. Well, I mean, if you were going to see the sunrise, what is clearly 11 in the morning, I... (laughs) You missed the sunrise, fellas. (laughs) Yeah. But what he's saying, so his girlfriend has requested that he take her on a motorbike ride to check out the sunrise. And what he is saying as we join their conversation already in progress is... I do not understand a woman's sense of whimsy. Yeah. I. It's like every week they're like, you were too good of a boyfriend last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Who could possibly want to see the sunrise? What value is there in that? There's a ridiculous whimsical notion. Uh, more whimsical notions is uh, introduced when Hitomi suggests that maybe she could give up photography, they get married, and she could have a nice, easy life as a housewife, uh, which Takoya also shoots down because who gives up their <laughs> career for that sort of thing? I don't yeah. like that. So it's a I weird. It's a weird move, right? Because yeah. there is a place where in the 1970s, or 80s, telling your girlfriend or wife, like, no, I, I don't expect you to, to stay at home and give up your career. That's fine. That and That is a good, progressive, solid outlook. Uh, what is not fine is demanding of your girlfriend or wife what they will do with their time. Yes. Or belittling them for their choices. Because you know what? Staying home is also a valid choice. Again, uh, Spider-Man, not the best boyfriend. Which I guess... Like, tracks to some degree from the source material. (laughs) Yeah. And and she's being a little cheeky, to be fair. Yes, Uh, yes. You know, she's teasing him a little. But he does not tease back. No. He he lacks a sense of humor. He sure does. What he does not lack is a clear vision for what he needs in a wife. Yes. Uh, Know what other kind of vision he doesn't lack? Apparently, x-ray vision. (laughs) X-ray vision! This is delightful because it continues, I believe, our five-episode streak now of introducing new and baffling powers every week. Because uh, they drive past the armored vehicle that apparently the narrator informs us uh, Takoya can see inside, and he knows what's there. And of course, since we said missiles is stamped on the inside, like, he can read it. Yep. So he sees... We don't get treated to this. We don't get a visual representation of his x-ray vision. Nope. But we know because we saw earlier what's going on. He sees a bunch of ninders crouched down in the back of some vans with boxes that say missiles on the side. This is his big break because he has been hell-bent on revenge against the Iron Cross army for however long he's been Spider-Man now. Yes. And he can't find them. He doesn't know where they're coming from. Finally, here's a break. He sees them. He's on his motorcycle. They're in trucks. He's faster than them. He can follow them and figure out what their deal is. He can find their base. Just first, we have to ditch the girlfriend. Yeah, absolutely. We can't be dragging a woman along to this man's work. Right. Uh, And he just stops and says, get off. They're in the middle of nowhere. No. Well, what's he going to do? Say I'm Spider-Man? We can't have that. Right. He, but he doesn't even try to say, like, I don't know. 
anything any or even I'm very sorry I can't explain he doesn't even say that he doesn't even offer like look I know this is going to sound insane I know we came out here to see the sunrise and I'm leaving you in the middle of nowhere but I'm your boyfriend you need to trust me nope he just says get off the bike and she does and he speeds away after after that truck he sure does he speeds away and they blow up his tire Yes, they blow so they blow up his tire on his bike as he is in a shot riding definitely not at them. Right. I I there yeah. are there are a lot of weird cuts and perhaps not completely thought out set pieces in this episode. I very much got the impression that the the day we recorded the military convoy and the day we recorded Spider-Man on his motorcycle were not the same day at all. Probably not. Uh, so, because he, he they blow off the tire. They blow out his back tire, despite the fact that he was driving at them. Uh, and also despite the fact that when his tire explodes into sparks and flame, there is no, like, there are no, there's no one around him. There is no vehicle he's trailing or anything. No, they they just shoot him down and then inexplicably they wreck as well. Although yeah. we get an explanation in a minute. The explanation is at some point they all apparently just jumped out of the van into a different van. Yeah, well, uh, Spider-Man had to wait for um, the GP7. The GP7. Yep, because his bike is broke, so he calls the GP7. And by the time he gets there, they've gone. They have left him a friendly note, though. Yeah, thanks, Spider-Man. Yeah, thanks, Spider-Man. I, if you're going to chase down like the Iron Cross army, perhaps getting the GP7 is like thing number one you should be doing. Yeah, yeah, maybe step one, get your much bigger, more armored vehicle. Uh, but now, I mean, I guess there's a quick shot of Professor Monster making a five-second cameo in this episode. Yep, Professor Monster is here just to explain the evil villain plot of the week, which is we are stealing missiles and we're going to shoot them at Japan. <laughs> That's the, that's the whole it's plot, a, guys. It's a pretty that straightforward plot. plot. Like, honestly, it, this is probably a better idea than the giant monsters. A way better idea than I'm going to use a 1970s computer to program the secret to defeating Spider-Man. Well, yes, that's that's probably true. But uh, now, now we cut a hard, hard cut into Spider-Man domestic life. Yeah. With I his, don't know how to approach this scene. With his sister, the Minister of Finance? Yeah, so again to reset, uh, a 30-second reset for listeners who might not remember, Takoya lives at home with his sister Shinko and his brother Takuji. Yes. Their father died in the pilot episode. Right, which is why this quest for revenge exists. Right, that is the quest for revenge, both for his dad and for Garia, the last survivor of Planet Spider. So, Takoya is, at this point, the de facto head of household, or at least so we have been led to believe for the first four episodes. He is, is the only one not in school, at least, which is, I presume, how it is legal for his siblings to stay with him. Right, uh, but apparently... We have made a sexist error because he does not control 
the uh, money happening in this household. No, he does not. His sister is 100% in control of, apparently, all financial decisions. Right. The younger brother refers to her as the Minister of Finance. I love that. That's really fun. Yeah. We uh, we have some very good friends of the show who are also members of the Retrograde Orbit Radio podcasting family, Lucas and Meg, who mm-hmm. host Amera Eurovision and co-host... Uh, Mount Olympus with us, uh, Lucas is, he works in economics for a living. He's a professor. He teaches economics. And when they sit down to have budget meetings, Meg refers to him as budget committee. (laughs) So that kind of reminded me of this. Yes, very much so. (laughs) So Hitomi, as the minister of finance, gets to make the decision over whether or not Takoya can have a new motorcycle. He doesn't right. need all of the money. He can make the payments, right. the monthly payments. He just needs a down payment. Right. Not Hitomi. Hitomi's the girlfriend. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Shinko. Yeah. Shinko. I- so he has to convince Shinko to give him the down payment. And now we get perhaps a distressing look into the financial situation of the Yamashiro family. Which, uh, they they have enough money, maybe, to pay for a down payment on a motorcycle once. Are they just, and this is what they say, they're just living off the money that their dad left them? Well, I mean, I don't know if Shinko has a job. Um, I, I it think doesn't, she's still in school. And clearly the younger brother's still in school. Right. And, I, I, I mean, is the only way that... Takoya's making money like motocross or whatever and it doesn't seem like he ever goes to that so yeah I have no problem you know his father left them an inheritance and it's great that that money is there that's not the part I have a problem about the part I have a problem about is as you say there does not appear to be any new income in this equation no I mean there's not a lot of money in being spider-man no, I mean, there's not a lot of money in being the Flash, and apparently he has enough money to pay, you know, Caitlin and Cisco and <laughs> everybody true. else. And operate an enormous building. Right. Apparently there's no tax lien on that thing. <laughs> so Hitomi says, or not Hitomi, I'm sorry, Shinko says, okay, all right, if you promise to be good, and good in this context means do not wreck another motorcycle. Right. If you promise to be good, you may have the money for a motorcycle. I like how he somehow, I mean, maybe I'm I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like that design of motorcycles should be that common, but apparently he gets a new custom job that looks exactly like exactly the old one. Exactly like his old one. And here, by the way, we get from Hitomi, who has strolled into the scene just to watch it unfold, we get an understanding of marriage. Yeah. Because Hitomi says, oh, oh, so this is how you get him to do what you want. Got it. I will just keep a firm grip on the purse strings after we are married, and he will have to do what I want. Uh, it sounds like they're, a- they're, they're headed off for wedded bliss, is what this sounds like. This is the worst couple ever. I mean, to be fair, 
uh, perhaps this is just a little bit of venting because she looks a little tired as if she has just had to walk here like for 10, 20 miles. Oh, yeah. So, so. She's still chatting about getting married, though, and at no point does she hit him and say, why did you leave me behind, you dirtbag? <laughs> I just guess she's used way. to it. It's kind of a feature of their relationship. Yeah, this is a bad relationship. <laughs> It sure is. It sure is. He's going to condescend to her nonstop, and she's going to lord money over him. It'll, it'll be great. It sounds like a super healthy relationship. Oh, sounds terrible. So Takoya hops on his new motorcycle. Quote, unquote. And just goes off chasing the enemy because he remembers where he saw them last. That's the explanation the announcer gives us. You saw them last on the side of the road where they had ditched their vehicle in a double-blind bluff to trick you. Right. So they're probably still there. They are, though. Like, he just drives right up to where... Well, not quite. He drives up to the highway outside of where they are. What's going on is the Amazonist. Remember the Amazonist? She's the commander of the Iron Cross Army. Yes. She is making sure the Ninders are unloading all of these missiles and getting them prepared for, I guess, the attack on all of Japan. I guess. I mean, I... Yeah. And and some rando five-year-old boy is watching through a window. Right. The one in the Brazilian soccer shirt? That's him. Yep. His name, by the way, we will find out later, is... Oh, that's... I lost it. All right, well, we'll find out his name later, I guess. It's in my notes somewhere. (laughs) So he, like a big, dumb, clumsy boy, falls over and alerts the Ninders to his presence. Okay, and this may may sound wrong, but was it the most hilarious fall that you have ever seen? It was a pretty great pratfall. I... I know that laughter was not what that fall was supposed to invoke, but it was just pitch perfect for goofy fall over. It was. It was a delight. So he runs away and just all of the ninjas chase him with assault rifles. Yeah. Yeah. And it is eventually a very distressing scene. Eventually the truck. It it started to make me feel really bad for laughing at him for falling. I'm like, oh no, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is this is too much. So so he runs and they chase him with assault rifles. Somehow he outruns the grown mutant things who are trained in martial arts. Yep. So they hop in a van. He runs out onto the main road. And they run that boy down. <laughs> they run him this over. Is, this is where we get to. Wait a minute. Did they did they just run down that small child? Yeah, like, this episode is getting really dark because the yeah. van's coming one way. Takoya on his motorcycle is speeding in the other direction. You think, ah, he's going to swoop in and save the right. boy just in time. And the answer is, nope, Takoya, you should have probably left your apartment about 12 seconds earlier because that kid gets hit by a van. He sure does. He gets clocked by a van and he falls onto the road, maybe dead. Yeah. What this means, of course, is that Takoya cannot follow the Ninders back to their hideout because he's got to take this boy to the hospital before he dies. Right. He doesn't have to support that boy's neck as he carries him. 
Uh, oh, no. But, he tosses that kid around like a rag doll. Yeah. He tries uh, to put him on a shelf outside the reception window in the hospital. Yeah. Well, because clearly they shot that scene with no other extras because no one is in that hospital. Uh, no nope. one is in that hospital. And then suddenly, like, four people are in that hospital. They are the only four people who work in the hospital, by the way. <laughs> he is just running around, waving this boy like a rag doll, yelling, somebody help him. From yeah. a visual perspective, I thought, Oh, it hit his head. Yeah, He's he like, definitely has a head wound. There's some internal issues going on. From a, from an external perspective, there is one small cut on his forehead. It's all we can see visually that's wrong. Right. What we find out, though, from a very suspicious-looking doctor <laughs> who uses a small lens to look in the boy's eye for one moment... Mm-hmm. And then says, this boy is going to die if he doesn't get a blood transfusion. But we're short on... He said, but we're short on blood. But he didn't say it in such a fashion as to suggest that they're out. It's like, well, I mean, you know, we we don't have a lot of blood. And, like, uh, I don't know that we can spare any. But but sparing the blood until you run out is kind of of what you're supposed to do here at the hospital. (laughs) He's like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, the doctor looks at his eyes and says he needs a blood transfusion, but yeah, we don't have much blood. So right. he is going to die, is what the doctor says. Yeah, I, I guess that's I, tough. Yeah, I uh, I can identify why they don't have a lot of blood, um, because in a minute we're going to see a procedure that is absolutely not how a blood transfusion works. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So Takoya says, check his blood type. I will donate. I'm... B negative or something. I think he'd just be, but yeah. And the boy is B. The boy has the same blood type, so they're going to do a transfusion. Right. Again, a very sketchy doctor is performing all of these medical procedures. Yes. And during the transfusion, both Takoya and the boy have dreams. Yep. The boy I get, he goes into surgery. Well... He goes into something the show calls surgery Yes, for several hours. Takoya appears to be like conscious and just laying on a bed giving some blood. I don't know how he had time for dreaming. Eh, visions. Okay, Look, sure. this is, I mean, it is a classic Spider-Man plot line where old Peter Parker has to donate some blood and, you know, huh, what are the implications of donating this weird spider blood to people? Yeah, yeah, and it's a good one. It's a good classic spidey plot line so he donates some blood they wheel the boy into surgery quote unquote uh and he has dreams of a spider yep would you like to describe surgery for us uh they seem to be poking around his stomach maybe (laughs) like i i'm not clear are we doing a blood transfusion are we are we repairing like internal damage we only talked about the blood transfusion uh at no point do they seem to be actually giving the patient any blood no no that never appears to happen at all they just wave a bunch of vague medical instruments at the camera lens for a while yep uh as my notes say that isn't a blood transfusion or how it works this is a bad hospital (laughs) and then the doctor leaves the surgery room finds tequoia and says that boy hemorrhaged real bad he's probably not gonna make it yeah this is the most depressing doctor 
Yeah, yeah, he really is. No hope. Dr. No Hope at all. Yep. So, Takoya has to stick around. He's got to see what happens to the boy. And he dispatches Shinko, Takuji, and Hitomi to go find the boy's parents. He does this by giving them a photograph of the boy. Right. A photograph. I, I did they take did he take it while he was in surgery or I have no idea. Where, Maybe where Hitomi took fo- it. She's a photographer. That's true. And she's an ace reporter, because they're gonna walk out. Uh he's gonna walk down the hallway and then suddenly they are back with this kid's entire life story. Yeah. He gives them a black and white picture and says, please search all of Japan for this boy's parents. Right. And they are gone for generously four minutes. Yes. Uh, Where they come back and report that his parents are gone for generously forever. Yeah. So this boy's name is Ichiro. We find out. He, his parents died very recently. And he was put into... uh, the equivalent of child protective services. Right. And he's and, going to be shipped off to uh, the orphanage. Right. He does not want to go to the orphanage, so he runs away. Right. I mean, sad story, but wow, that was some ace crack detective work there. Sure was. That was, I mean, she should be running the newspaper. Yeah. Can you find, here's a photo. Uh, so is there any information? No contact information. And he's an orphan. Identify who he is, where he used to live. You know, all of his living relations, which apparently are none. Yep. And then the announcer pops in to tell us there is no one who can be here for this boy in his last moments. <laughs> Just, this show's getting real dark. This episode is sad. It does not stop being sad. I mean, who knew that like the light jabes about uh, Minister of Finance was going to be going to be the light fluffy part of the episode? <laughs> yeah, because I've got news for you, listener. This episode is not really ending on a happy note. No. No. Believe it or not, the boy is going to survive. This episode is still going to be sad. Yes. So Takoya just sits around and broods in the hospital for a while until the disembodied voice of his former mentor calls to him. Yep. Just says Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yep. He wanders. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say this is this is a new uh, as yet undescribed superpower (laughs) hallucination. Yeah, and uh, he follows the voice into Ichiro's room, where Ichiro has made a dramatic and immediate full recovery. Right. He looks happy. Spider-Man, I feel I feel like Takoya was given a lot of conflicting directions about how he should react, and he does somehow all of them. Yeah, yeah. Takoya doesn't know what to make of any of this until Ichiro says... Hey, I saw those missiles, and I know where they're hiding them. Now Spider-Man is on board. He says, all right, great. See you later, kid. Saved by Spider-Blood. Yep. So the boy is saved by saved by Spider-Blood. He describes the abandoned industrial site where he saw the missiles. The fact that he explains as, yeah, I saw the missiles while I was wandering that abandoned industrial site. 
kid, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> so now it's time for a lot of theme song. A lot of theme song and a lot of fighting. The theme song, like, okay, I'm into it. And then again, it's like, okay, well, then this is where it's going. Okay, again. And then, oh, now we're just doing an instrumental version of the theme song. Yep. There was, there was a lot of Spider-Man going around this base. Um, a lot of different shots. Some of them cool. Some of them utterly nonsense. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, like where Spider-Man is halfway up a wall and no one looks up or, I guess, has peripheral vision. And he is just inexplicably spinning at the torso. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's yeah. there's a place where it's Scarrow and hands are reaching up from the ground. Yeah, apparently Ninders have secret digging powers because one of them definitely attacks him from beneath the surface of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also somewhere in there, Spider-Man hangs a guy. Yeah, he sure does. Yep. Uh, lots of jump cuts and eventually I just cop to not understanding how this facility is laid out. Yeah. This is so every episode of Spider-Man when the action like when the when the third act starts and the kind of fight scene kicks in features the theme song playing over a montage of Spider-Man attacking some ninders. But this is a very, very extended version of that. Yeah, I and feel... it just goes on for a while. I don't know. Maybe maybe we cut back on some of the marriage subplot that was supposed to be there because yeah, because they also get way more of that goofy crouch run than I ever need to see. Yeah. I... <laughs> okay, I at least am willing to give him the crouch run when he's actually sneaking about a place. Sure, but there are times when he is just walking over to the GP seven like that. Apparently, if he is in the costume, that's the way he has to walk. Look, there was one time where he was being chased by Ninders and he was running away like that. I don't understand. That is the least, least sensible way to run. It looks there is early in the animated movie, The Emperor's New Groove. Mm -hmm. There is a scene where the muscly henchman named Kronk. Yep. is tiptoeing around humming his own theme song music. <laughs> it looks yes. just like that. Yeah. I like to imagine that Spider-Man actually hears the Spider-Man theme song while he is in combat. I mean, I'm not sure that he doesn't. When the theme song finally finishes its whatever playthrough, the Amazonist pops back up for about three seconds. Right. Shocked that Spider-Man is here. Just astounded. How could this possibly be? Uh, so she orders, do you remember that guy in the red bird suit from the beginning? Yep. Here yep, briefly. Is. She orders him. His name, by the way, we now find out is the Machine Bem Shoujinjin. Something like that. The name is longer than how much he's in the episode. Yep. It does not matter because, again, he has nothing, no backstory, no powers. Nope. He's got kind of a gun on his one fist. He doesn't even try to fight Spider-Man. He just, he like, his first move is to grow. Yeah. His first move is to get big. Yeah. Then start using gun hand. Yeah. Like, then start using gun hand. I mean, Barrett from FF7 has a better gun hand than this guy. <laughs> 
He does, though, however, manage to shoot the GP7 out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I Partially because it doesn't seem like Spider-Man was trying to actually fly to Marveler there. It looked like he was just going to run around on the GP7 and see how that worked. Some strafing runs in the GP7. (laughs) I think that's what the plan was. Uh, Because he was doing some strafing runs, you know, against against the evil van and uh, and team of ninders before. (laughs) But um, yeah, so though the GP7 completely unharmed by being shot out of the sky by an enormous robot machine gun. Yep. Yep. Just uh, it's a little scratched and Spider-Man has to fight a little bit more on the ground, but then promptly gets back into the GP7. Yep, just hops back into the GP7, rides it into Marveler, transforms into Leopardon. Change Leopardon. Love that Leopardon. Yep. And the show ends. I mean, the show doesn't. The combat ends. Because as soon as Leopardon shows up, he just rips off a sequence of special moves and we're done. Strings, arc turn, sword vigor, dead. Yep. Okay. Combat done. Japan temporarily saved from the threat of their own missiles. Yep. I guess they must have exploded in the truck or whatnot, maybe. Sure. Sure. And our final scene is, remember that good boy Ichiro, the five-year-old who makes bad decisions? Yep. He's just running down the middle of the highway. Yep. I mean, Spider-Man is standing in the middle of the highway, so it's not entirely his fault. He got hit by a van, like, yesterday. Look, Why the spider blood didn't the make him any smarter. Yeah, it clearly did not. And Spider-Man gives him a big hug, and he says, I know your secret identity. Yeah. Because this boy has figured out what no one else in the history of comic books can. It took him less than a day to say, hey, you're Spider-Man. I know you're Spider-Man, and I, I know Spider-Man is that guy who saved me yesterday. You're the same guy. Well, You're look, obviously the same guy. I think we've intuited that the spider blood in this universe has a whole different host of powers that are passed on. So True. Yeah. And here is what's great. Do you know what Spider-Man, do you remember what Spider-Man says to Ichiro initially? Uh, is it the part about being blood brothers forever? Not yet. He says, I defeated the truck that tried to run over you. <laughs> I, yes, I defeated the truck. I defeated the truck. Not I got back the missiles. I defeated right. the bad guys. I shot down the giant monster. I defeated that truck. Yep. That evil truck. That evil sentient truck. Yep. I mean, it is this universe. It could have been an evil sentient truck, but it wasn't. And now Ichiro says, we're like blood brothers. And Spider-Man says, we sure are. We're brothers. Brothers forever. Says, so I can come to live with you, right? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. We aren't. I mean, we are blood brothers forever. But no, you need to go to the orphanage and deal with people like you, you dirty orphan. People like you. Yeah, I, I you think... need to go hang out with the other sad, empty children. Right. You need to be with your own kind. Yep. Guy, isn't it, it isn't he an orphan at this point? Yeah. Like he is. He's I, a grown-up, but he's an he, orphan. Right. Like his parents, you know, one was out of the picture, one was killed. Like his I'm younger sure. brother, who is pretty close to age to Luichiro here. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel like perhaps there should be room in Spider Man's heart for this. 
I mean, I guess it's the whole secret identity the rest of his family doesn't know, but... Spider-Man just shoves that boy's hug right off of him. Sorry, kid, you can't be involved in my revenge plot. But we're definitely still brothers, okay? We'll see, I'll see you later. Yeah, see you later. Uh, Later sometime, half past never. Get out of here, dirty orphan child. And in case you did not get the full effect of that very sad message, the announcer comes on to tell us, Spider-Man cannot afford to be sentimental. He must stay true to the battle of revenge. Takoya is hard as a coffin nail, man. He is. Takoya is hard as nails. His, his this quest for revenge might destroy this boy. Like this this uh this is the grim gritty reboot of Spider-Man. That's what this is. Yeah. He does not care about his girlfriend. Nope. He is straight cold to that orphan boy. Yep. Uh, it's the only person he answers to is finance committee. (laughs) And I I think that'll do it. Do you have any, any closing thoughts? No, just he's real harsh. Yeah. Just cool. I mean, if he at least could have found like a nice light way to say, no, you can't come live with us and didn't double down on their kiss off. Yeah, uh, smoother than you need to go with your own kind, like orphans and stuff. Yes. Ugh. That's whew, that's rough. <laughs> and that is where we will end this week's episode of the Super Sentai Buddies. Yep. As we like to do at the end of the show, we will remind you that the Super Sentai Buddies is a sub-series of the runaway smash hit podcast, the Super Sentai Brothers a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. You can find the show on Twitter at Super Sentai Brothers. You can find Retrograde Orbit Radio on the web, www.retrogradeorbitradio.com, where you can check out all of the cool podcasts that we have on offer, including a really neat co-production with the good guys over at Hey Jake and Josh looking at the James Bond franchise. Called Spectre. Called Spectre, yeah. Go find that. It's fun. Until next time, hopefully Matt and Dave will be back next week in whatever week you are listening to this on. So until next time, I am producer Mark. I'm Brian. And we will see you next week for the second greatest show on Earth. Spider-Man. Spider-Man.